Chapter Eight of the Ashill Mystery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Don W. Jenkins. The Ashill Mystery by Mrs. Charles Bryce. Chapter Eight. They had reached a place where a wide horseshoe of beach ran down to the loch. For more than a week there had been no rain to speak of. The season as a whole had been dry, and the water was very low. Tufts of grass dotted the shore. Brambles and young alders were springing up bravely, determined to make the most of their time. At the back stretched a meadow, part of which had been cut for hay, the rest of it was so full of weeds and wildflowers, ragweed, burdock, and the red stalks of sorrel, that it had been left untouched and filled the foreground with color. The grass had gone to seed and turned a rich reddish purple. Beneath it grew wild geraniums, whose leaves were already scarlet. Bluebells and scabious made a haze of mauve, and everywhere the warm sandy stalks of the dried grasses shone yellow through the patch. They sat down at the edge of the beach and leant back against the overhanging turf. Opposite to them the little town of Crianan clung to the steep rocks below Ben Gusi, the houses looking as if they stood piled one on top of another in a rough pyramid, and the whole surmounted by the high walls and tower of the Roman Catholic monastery which dominated the scene, and always seemed to Juliet to wear a look of stern defiance, as if it were offering a challenge to that other fortress that frowned back at it. She could imagine the monks in the old days standing on its parapet, and daring the lords of Inverashiel to do their worst. Far away down the loch lay the hills, scarce more deeply grey than the water. Beyond them more distant tops melted into sky. The grey ripples lapped gently on jagged shingle, and a persistent housefly buzzed loudly round their heads. At that hour there were as yet few midges, and it was very peaceful, very solitary, very desolate. "'I don't know,' said Juliet, going on with her story where she had left off, which was more angry, Lord Ashill or Sir David. After the first few minutes, in which they both said things I am sure they regretted afterwards, neither of them would speak to the other, and it was a very uncomfortable evening for everyone. The next day was better. Colonel Spicer and Sir George left by the morning train, both going on to shoot in other parts of Scotland. Mrs. Clutsam went away, too. She had someone coming to stay with her at her own house nearby. Both the young men went stalking on different parts of the forest, and Lord Ashill and I, with the two other girls, spent the morning on the loch trolling for salmon, but we didn't get a rise. In the afternoon I walked up the river with Julia Romaninoff. We talked about our school days. She had been at school in Germany, and I in Switzerland. After a while she got tired and went home, but I went on by myself, for I had a lot of things to think of, and was glad to be alone. I came at last to a great pool among the rocks, where the river comes down in a fall from far above in a cloud of spray and foam. I stood on a stone at the water's edge and watched the trout rising in the pool. The river was low and the water very clear. Standing on the rocks above it, it seemed as if I could see every pebble at the bottom, except where they were hidden in the ripples which spread away from beneath the fall. The pool is like the bottom of a well. High rocks rear themselves round it to a great height. 
they are veiled in a greenness of fern and moss and near the top many trees have found a foothold in the crevices and bend forward toward each other over the water as divers poise themselves before leaping down through a narrow opening opposite the fall the river makes its way onward as i stood there a stone must have come down from the heights above i did not see it and the noise of the waterfall deadened any sound of its descent but suddenly i felt a heavy blow between the shoulders and i must have tumbled forward into the pool below the next thing i remember was looking up into the anxious friendly face of andrew campbell one of the gillies at invershill it seemed to be hanging above me in the sky which was the only other thing i could see and i wondered vaguely why i saw it upside down my head was aching cruelly and i couldn't imagine what was the matter though i was too weak and faint to care to cut my adventure short andrew had come to a pool lower down in the river just as i floated into it on top of the current he had fished me out and was now restoring me to life again i was got back to the house how i hardly know put to bed and actually wept over by lord ashiel by the evening i had so far recovered that i was able to come down to dinner though i should not have done so if it had not been for the anxiety of my host as my head still felt as if it was going to split i received many congratulations on my escape and lord ashiel when he spoke of it was so much moved that every one was quite embarrassed and i myself was touched beyond expression at the affection he did not attempt to conceal he was very silent after that but in spite of him dinner that night was a merry meal every one was in the best of spirits or else assumed them for the time being we all joked and laughed over my adventure and mr mcconaughan said i bore a charmed life since i had escaped being killed by his careless shot and now the river refused to drown me it was not till the servants had left the room and we were preparing to do the same that lord ashiel spoke again lady ruth had got up and was moving toward the door and the other girls and i were following her when he called her back will you wait a minute ruth he said i have something to tell you and my young friends here he smiled round at all of us including sir david to whom he hadn't spoken since the affair of the dog i have some good news which i want you to share with me he took me by the hand and drew me forward i want said he to introduce you all to a young lady whom you do not know this is juliet mcconaughan my dear and only daughter i was not really so surprised as he expected his behavior to me had made me suspicious and during the last few days especially i had allowed myself to nourish a hope that we were related but i was glad i can't tell you how glad and thankful everyone else was tremendously surprised they all clustered round us with questions and exclamations but lord ashiel would say no more just then and only smiled and beamed and nodded mysteriously i am not going to answer any questions till i have had a talk with juliet he said this is as much news to her as it is to any of you and it is only fair that she should be the first to hear the story for i won't deny that there is a story come to me presently my child he went on addressing himself to me come to the library in half an hour's time you will find me there and i will tell you all about it i went to the drawing-room my aching head almost forgotten i was of course intensely excited indeed i think i scarcely took in any of the kind things that lady ruth and the others said to me that evening at all events i had hardly any idea what they were and none at all as to what i answered my one overmastering desire was to be alone to have time to think to realize all that news meant to me 
and after a quarter of an hour had passed i made some excuse and left the room the nearest way to my bedroom was by a back stair and to reach it i had to pass through a passage leading to the gun-room the door of that room was ajar and as i went by sir david southern came out what have you been doing in there at this time of night i asked and oh mr gimblet i was so foolish as to repeat this to the glasgow detective when he questioned me to think that my careless words have led them to believe sir david capable of such a crime but i had no idea of the meaning they would attach to it you will understand presently how it was i went to clean my rifle he answered shutting the door behind him i always see to that myself and where are you off to so fast cousin juliet that is what you are to me it appears and so we talked about me and our newly discovered relationship i need not repeat all that need i and perhaps i do not remember everything we said added juliet flushing after a little while though i told him how badly my head ached and he was very sympathetic about it you ought not to have come down to dinner he said the dining-room gets so hot and stuffy it is a low room and uncle douglas never will have the window open even on a lovely night like this there is a door at the foot of the stairs opposite the gun-room and as he spoke he drew back the bolt come out into the garden for a few minutes he said holding the door open for me to pass a little fresh air will do you more good than anything the night was warm i suppose for scotland but cool enough to seem wonderfully fresh and invigorating after the enclosed air within the house it was very dark and the sky was overcast though just above us a star or two was shining very large and clear otherwise i could hardly distinguish anything at all except the line about fifty yards away where the lawn came to an end and the ground dipped abruptly down toward the lock so that the level edge of the grass showed up against the less opaque darkness of the sky like a black velvet border to a piece of black silk we stood there a little while till i remembered i must go to the library my head was already much better when i turned back to the house sir david didn't follow me he seemed to be staring through the gloom in front of him i am going in he said what are you looking at i thought i saw something move over there on the skyline he replied do you see anything i looked but could make out nothing well he said if you are going in i think i'll just go over and see if there's anyone about you might leave the door open will you and so i left him and made my way to the library as i passed through the billiard-room mr mcconachan who was knocking the balls about asked me if i had seen his cousin and i told him sir david was outside on the lawn by the gun-room door lord ashiel my father was waiting for me and he came to meet me and kissed me tenderly we were both very much agitated i was still feeling the effects of my escape from drowning and he poor dear was weak and ill in short neither of us was in a fit state to meet the situation calmly and if my tears flowed they were not the only ones that were shed for a few moments we cried like babies in each other's arms and then i pulled myself together for i knew how bad it was for his health to get in this nervous state mr gimblet i needn't tell you all the conversation that followed between us he told me that you know the whole story that you are the one person in the world in whom he had confided so it is unnecessary for me to repeat what he said of his marriage to my mother of her death and of his resolve never willingly to look upon me the baby who had taken her from him he told me also of the years that had intervened between that day when he had shuffled off his responsibilities on to mrs meredith and the day not long ago when he at last decided to hunt out his daughter he told me of his fears that she should prove to be none other than julia romaninoff 
and how in desperation he had applied to you for help and of how you had discovered my existence he said that he had never really doubted from the moment he first set eyes on me that i was juliana's child but he dared not hint such a thing to me till he was certain and anxious though he was to see a likeness between me and her or himself he had not been able to tell himself truthfully that he could really see one until that day it was when i was brought home that afternoon so white and faint so changed by my pallor from what he chose to describe as my usual gay brilliance that the resemblance suddenly showed itself he hardly knew that it was i it might have been juliana that they were carrying he said there could be no doubt i was her daughter that he for one required no further proof though we should probably get it now it was no longer wanted sir arthur byrne might be able to suggest some way of tracing things not that it mattered for he could not in any case leave me his title and on the other hand he had full control of his money which would be mine before very long i cried out that that he must not say so that it was not money i wanted but a father affection friendship he repeated that all the same i should have it in course of time that it was all settled already even before he was certain that i was his own child he liked me well enough to make up his mind about that he asked me if i remembered that he had stayed at home the other day while the rest of us were on the hill he said that he had made his will that day and i was the principal legatee though he had not alluded to me in it by my own name but he had worded it carefully so that that should make no difference and though he believed it was quite clear as it was he would make it over again as soon as he could obtain legal proof of my birth i supposed i murmured some sort of thanks for his care of my future and he went on again saying that he only wished the title could come to me too when he died but that it would go to mark since the little boy his second wife had given him was dead and i was a girl he said he was afraid that mark might be a little disappointed for if he hadn't found me mark and david would have shared his fortune between them but they would soon get over it for they were good lads especially mark and david would have plenty of money through this very satisfactory marriage of his i couldn't help interrupting that money wasn't everything i am telling you all these trivial things mr gimblet because you said i was to try and remember everything however unimportant yes said gimblet that is what i want pray go on he only smiled when i said that juliet resumed and said that different opinions were held on the subject by different people then he went on talking about my future life and said again how glad he would always be that he had consulted you and how grateful he was for what you had done for him and that if any trouble cropped up i was to be sure and send for you at once he looked to you to protect my interests and if necessary to avenge his death i couldn't think what he meant and said so but he only smiled again and said he hoped that there would be no need for it he said he had some papers he must send to you to take care of some papers that were rather dangerous to their owner he was afraid though at the same time they were a safeguard to him but he shouldn't like me to have anything to do with them or the boys either and he must get them away from inverashiel as soon as he could in the meantime they were in a safe place where no one would find them and he would write to you that night and tell you how to look for them just on the chance that something should happen before he could send them off his will was with them too for the present but he would send that up to findlay and ince he wouldn't tell me where the papers were he didn't want me to have anything to do with these tiresome things he said all this with hesitation with long pauses between the sentences it seemed to me that he would have liked to tell me more and i didn't know what to say indeed 
he seemed to be talking rather to himself than to me and i am not sure if he heard me when i said that if he had any anxiety i should like to share it if it were possible presently he seemed to take a sudden resolution he said that there was no reason at all events why he should not explain to me how to find the papers he had written directions in cipher once before and given you the key but you had lost it and might do so again it would be just as well that i should know about it too in any case he had had to think out a new method and at present it was known to no one except himself which was perhaps not very wise however he would send it to you that night and would explain it to me at once but first i must promise him very faithfully never to mention it to anyone whatever happened not to let anyone except you ever guess that there was such a thing in existence i promised solemnly still he hardly seemed satisfied and looked at me very searchingly while he said he wondered if i were old enough to understand the importance of this and if i realized that i was promising not to tell my nearest or dearest not my adopted father sir arthur byrne nor my lover if i had one that it was a matter of life and death that his life was in danger then and that i would inherit the risk unless i did as he said rather indignant though completely mystified i promised again he seemed satisfied and said he would write the whole thing down for me he moved from the hearth where we had been sitting to the writing-table which stands in the middle of the room in front of the window he sat down at it and i stood a little behind him looking on as he took a sheet of note-paper and turned over the pens in the tray in search of a pencil the room was very hot the tufts of peat smouldering in the grate and the two lamps combined with the fumes of lord ashiel's cigar to render the atmosphere oppressive to a person with a violent headache i glanced longingly towards the window it was not entirely hidden by the heavy curtains which were drawn across it for they did not quite meet in the middle and i could see perfectly well that the window was shut for a moment i hesitated toward between the desire for fresh air and the fear that my father might feel too cold he was terribly chilly i decided to ask him and turned to him again as he took up the pencil and examined the point critically would you mind i was beginning but at that instant a loud report sounded just outside the window lord ashiel fell forward onto the table with a low cry his hand clasped to his ribs oh what is it i cried bending over him you are hurt you are shot oh what shall i do he was making a great effort to speak i could see that plainly enough but no words would come and he seemed to be choking at last he managed to get out a few words gimblet he gasped the clock eleven steps and then with a groan his hand dropped from his side his head rolled back upon the table and a silence followed more horrible to me than anything that had gone before i saw now that his shirt was already soaked with blood and as in terror i called again upon his name the dreadful truth was borne in upon me and i knew that he was dead juliet's voice failed her she spoke the last few words in a quavering whisper and if gimblet had looked at her at that moment he would have beheld a countenance drawn and distorted by horror but he was very much occupied and did not look up with a notebook open on his knee he was busily writing down what she had said you are sure of the words he asked as his pencil sped across the page gimblet the clock eleven step is that it his matter-of-fact voice soothed and reassured her this little grey-haired man sitting at her side was somehow a very comfortable companion to one whose nerves were badly overwrought juliet pulled herself together steps she corrected and her voice sounded almost natural again not step 
"'Do you suppose,' asked the detective, "'that he meant the English word steps or the Russian steps?' "'I don't know,' said Juliet, surprised. "'I never thought of it. "'But, Mr. Gimblet, I have not told anyone but you "'that he spoke after he was hit. "'I thought perhaps that he might have wished "'those last words of his to be kept private.' "'Quite right,' said Gimblet approvingly. "'He did right to trust your discretion. "'And now, please go on,' he added, putting down his pencil. "'What happened next?' and Juliet answered him in a tone as calm as his own. I think I must have fainted. End of chapter 8 Recorded by Don W. Jenkins, Rancho San Diego, California, shaggybark.blogspot.com